Welcome to Away From The Keyboard. We give you a glimpse into the lives, interests, and tech behind today's technologists. Please join our hosts, Cecil Phillip and Richie Rump, as we get away from the keyboard. Welcome to Away From The Keyboard, where technologists tell their stories of how they started, how they grew, how they learned, and how they unwind. My name is Richie Rump, but with me, as always, I have my co-host, Cecil Phillip. What's going on, Cecil? Hey, Richie. I'm really excited this week because finally Miami Carnival Week is here. You know, I have a lot of friends and family coming in, which is just going to be so much fun. I, you know, I can't wait to get it started. You know, I have lived in Miami all my, all my life, never been to Miami Carnival. What? And I, I, I know, right? It's crazy. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that there's listeners who have never been to Miami Carnival. So what's it like going to Miami Carnival? So as you can imagine, there's a lot of different islands represented in Miami. So again, we have we have Haitians and Jamaicans and Trinidadians and people from Barbados and St. Kitts and Antigua. And generally what happens is that each island has its own carnival at different times of the year. What's really special about Miami Carnival is now we have that mashup of all of these different groups of people. We have the influences of you know, all of their artists and their, their musicians. We have the influences of all the different types of foods. And what you see is everybody comes together and we just have a really good time. You know, there's a parade and you'll see a lot of different colors. You'll see a lot of the music presented. And again, it's just a, a celebration of culture, a celebration of just who we are as Caribbean people. So it's very, it's very, very cool thing to, to be a part of. Yeah, man. One of these days, we're definitely going to have to make it over there and, um, you know, bring the kids along and kind of sh- share in all their cultures uh, other than the Hispanic culture that they get <laughs> around the house. <laughs> yeah, what I'll do is, you know, if I can get some uh, some socially appropriate pictures, you know, I'll, you know, we could share <laughs> some on the the way from the keyboard uh, Twitter account. That actually sounds great, man. That sounds great. So, who are we talking to today, man? So today, I'm really excited about this guest we have. We're talking to Brent Ozar. What? Definitely, really? definitely a favorite of we- yours. He's since become a favorite of mine. So let me tell you guys a little bit about Brent Ozar. Brent Ozar loves to make SQL Server faster and more reliable. He created SP Blitz and SP Ask Brent. SP Ask Brent. Yeah, you just you. It's coming like the computer from Star Trek. Ah, uh, Brent, what's going on with my SQL Server today? No, that that is very cool. He loves sharing knowledge at brentozar.com. He also holds a bunch of certifications and awards, including the Microsoft MVP Award. You can find Brent on Twitter at Brento, that's B-R-E-N-T-O. So what are some of the things you liked about this episode? I think one of the things I really like about this conversation is just how natural a storyteller he is. He doesn't give you just an answer. He tells you the story behind the answer. And uh, this conversation was so good and was so epic, we've actually decided to take this into two episodes not just one, but two. So we've got part one today where he's going to, uh, he'll be talking a lot about his company. And um, dude, can I say, you are spot on this episode, man. You are rock solid, man. I just like to tell you that, man. Yeah, you are awesome. No, thank you, man. And one thing I got to say too, you know, talking to Brent was such, you know, such an honor and a privilege. And he just has so much information to share that, again, we, it was so hard to make a cut that we just had to make this two episodes. So let's get started. So this episode was recorded on September 5th, 2015, and now our conversation with Brent Ozar. And now, away from the keyboard's feature conversation. I feel 
feel like I know you purely from me. And you've never had a conversation, but purely from Richie talking about you day in and day out. <laughs> it involves a lot of swear words, I'm sure. It, it, I feel like there's a little you know tech crush going on here. Um, <laughs> who is Brent Ozar? Right, like, like, yeah. like, who I, are you? I make SQL servers faster and more reliable, and I am all about helping people get their problems solved as quickly and cheaply as possible. Because of that, it means I do a lot of stuff for free. It means I build tools like SP Blitz and SP Ask Brent that are like help check, health check tools for your SQL server. Because my whole thing, I'm a really big believer in if you don't do it for free, if it can be done for free, somebody else is going to do it. And so the more people that I can reach for free and help them solve the easy problems quickly for free, uh, the more I'm going to help them tackle the really hard problems in SQL Server. So as a, as a result, I tend to do a lot of community work going, how can I build something that will help people forever and will keep paying itself forward just kind of on autopilot? So it sounds to me like you actually make SQL Server work. I try to, I, I remember so clearly when I was coming up with SQL Server, you know, back like in the early 2000s, it felt like it didn't work at all. Like it was just some black box and it would stop for no reason that I couldn't understand or it wouldn't go fast enough. You know, and then I'd have to go digging through some esoteric book and figure out, oh, there's this trace flag you're supposed to use or, oh, there's a setting that you can't touch no matter what. And so I'm like, how can I make that journey as easy as possible for people who are just coming up? Developers shouldn't need a DBA. Developers should be able to store data in something and not to have to have some car mechanic there constantly with his elbows, you know, up to his elbows in data grease trying to make the thing work. SQL Server is an awesome product. Love it. Don't get me wrong. It's amazing. But there are just a lot of gotchas that I try to make it easier for people to navigate their way around. So what made you decide to choose SQL Server? Like, what about this product exactly made you really want to dig into it? That's such an awesome question. So back in the late 90s, I was a sysadmin and then a developer for a while and was working with this god-awful language, Top Speed Clarion. And my boss said, oh, it works in object-oriented or procedural. It works with any database. No, it just doesn't really work at all. Uh, <laughs> my boss said, here's the deal. We're going to either switch to Java or .NET, and I need you to figure out which one. So I spent like six months learning uh, VB.NET. Don't laugh. That was, you know, seemed like the easier route at the time. And uh, Java. And after like six months, I'm like, boss, I have no idea which one's going to win over the next 10 years. You're going to be safe with both. I have a good, strong feeling about that. But I'll tell you what. Going down this road as a developer, I'm going to be learning languages and frameworks for the rest of my life. I would like to unsubscribe from that newsletter. <laughs> I love learning. I can't get enough of learning. I don't want anything to do with learning languages. So I looked around the shop and I was like, what's the most expensive thing that breaks a lot and that doesn't involve learning languages? So there's this big expensive database over in the corner that everybody's afraid to touch. And the language that works with it, you know, T-SQL, the basic concept of SQL, man, it's been around for decades. And you can even switch databases if you want. So I'm like, yeah, sign me up for that. You know, and you also can't come out of college really armed to be a database administrator. So I'm like, woohoo, job security, I'm in. <laughs> nice. Really how I ended up focusing on it. So how exactly did you even, you know, because I know, for instance, you do a lot of training. You do, it looks like you do a lot of workshops and that type of thing. How did you yep. go from, hey, I'm going to look at that little machine in the corner and try and figure out how it works to, 
having a successful business doing trainings and workshops and seminars. So you're asking how, how we took over the world. Right? That's what you're saying. <laughs> that is so weird. So I started blogging back in the late 1990s. It, was, it wasn't called blogging at the time. It was just, you know, operating a website. And somehow I got hooked up with, I used to be part of Houston Wireless, which was this uh, Wi-Fi community back in Houston, back when Matt Mullenweg started WordPress. He was one of the members of our local uh, wireless user group. And I remember he was really keen into, into blogging, into building things out as a brand. And I was around a whole bunch of other marketing people. And I was like, ooh, I should really have a blog that's just my name. And then what am I going to write about? Well, I'm going to write about the stuff that I do. You know, how can I make it easier for people to do stuff? And people just started bookmarking and coming back for subscriptions or whatever. One day I found myself exiting a really crappy DBA job. I mean, a really crappy DBA job. I could do a whole podcast about how bad this DBA job sucked. And I will say one thing <laughs> about it. I walk in my first day and I'm like, man, there's a, there's like 30 cubicles here. I'm supposed to be part of a 30 cubicle or 30 person team. No one else is here. Where are all these other people? And eventually after talking to my manager, I found out that these other DBAs, everybody got a laptop with an air card, you know, one of those cellular modems back in the day. And what they would end up doing is they would leave because they could telecommute, and then they would get a job somewhere else as a DBA. They would have two jobs, one for this company and then one for another company doing their database work. So they would open up their laptop with an air card, check their email, do some work, and then pivot over to their other job and do more work. Oh, man, I was like, I am out of this. I'm not going to, I can't do this. I, my morals just won't let me to do that. I, and I, so I said to my manager, all right, what does it take to succeed here? What do I have to do in order to say, get a raise at the end of the year? She said, here's the deal. I can only give raises to 5% of my staff, whatever the top 5% are. She said, so what I have to do, or I think it was 20% is what she said at the time. Uh, she said, so what I have to do is every year when it's raise time, I give raises to that percentage of the people who have been here the longest without getting a raise. She said, it doesn't really have anything to do with, with uh, performance. It's just if you've survived that long. I was like running the math. I'm like, are you telling me it's going to be like five to 10 years before I get a raise? She said, yeah. I said, okay, I'm, that's it. I'm out. I'm out. Ciao. Yeah, this is not for See ya. me. So I walked out that day. I quit. I gave my two weeks notice. I was a brand new employee. And they're like, that's okay. You can, you know, I totally understand why. And in and, and the manager's fairness, she said, now you kind of see why I'm screwed, why I have to take these DBAs remotely with laptops. Because she's like, if they quit, no one else is going to want this job either. You know, you have to get a second job to really uh, succeed here. And that's not my ball. So I walked out and uh, contacted, I had a white paper going for Quest software at the time. And I said, do me a favor, hold off on publishing that for like two weeks, because it's got my name in there and the company I work for, that company name's about to change. I'm going to go find me another job. I have no idea what it's going to be, but I'm going to find me another job. And they said, why don't you come work for us? You know, why don't you work for us as an evangelist? And I'm like, are you kidding? What? Does that, that exists? You know, how, how does that how do you get a job doing that? So I started working as an evangelist and going out and teaching and training people on SQL Server. It was my full-time job for like two years to walk around and speak to the public. And I was 
already comfortable speaking with the public. I'd done a lot of it just at uh, as courses of various jobs that I've had over the years. Now, but that really raised my name out there and let me gave me enough runway, so to speak, that I could start getting enough people wanting to contact me for consulting. Uh, and that eventually one day I started doing more and more weekend consulting. And I got to the point where a company said, what will it take to get you out here during the week? And I was out of vacation time and I went to my boss and I said, you know, look, this company's willing to pay me. At, at the time, it was 5,000 bucks a day for five days. They're willing to pay me, you know, 25 grand to be there for a week. And he said, I'm sorry, I, I just can't do that. And I was like, well, all right, I got to, now's the chance. I need to go take this and run with it. And uh, that was the scariest moment of my life to quit the job and go off and take this one consulting gig and then go, where am I going to find my next meal? Like that, that's honestly, that would be terrifying for me. It was terrifying for me. Yeah. <laughs> it was I'm, terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but I think at some point, you know, you have to take a risk. Yeah. You have to take the risk. And if I, if I don't do it now, I'm going to sit and I'm going to wonder for the next, I don't know, five, 10 years. What if I'd actually taken that opportunity to, to see what I could do? Yeah. yeah. And I've never wanted to start a business. I never wanted to run something for myself. Like I'm not the kind of person who goes, I'm going to go be a bajillionaire from doing SQL Server work. No, I just, I really love doing SQL Server work. And I looked at it and went, all right, most of my time is spent sitting in meetings. How can I do more SQL Server work and less sitting in meetings? And I thought that was going to be what consulting is. As it turns out, it's kind of the opposite. You end up spending <laughs> all of your time in meetings and hardly any of your time doing SQL Server work. So, but as long as you're passionate about it, then you get to, you get to go and do that on your own time. So like I end up doing a lot of SQL Server work just for fun to stay sharp. Uh, so that when people ask me for advice, I can actually give decent advice. But one of the upsides I always see from that is one, you get to do what you want to do, do what you love doing. And two, it's, it's your company. It's yours, right? Like you, like you have that ownership. You know, you can, that's always something that you could share with your family or whoever else. Cause you don't have to, you don't have to technically answer to anybody. Yeah. The, the saying with entrepreneurs is why work 40 hours a week for somebody else when you can work 80 hours a week for yourself? You know, it's, that's right. it's, uh, <laughs> and it really is like that. Like I, we, we employ consultants as well. And we, and we talk to them, you know, when folks uh, come to work for us that look, you can make a lot of money on your own. You're just going to be on your own. You know, you have to go do your own marketing. You have to go do your own sales. You have to talk with accountants. You have to talk with lawyers. Um, and it, there's different parts of the business that I really enjoy, that I love working, trying to figure out marketing or sales or whatever. But if you're alone, you get, man, you got to do that. You know, you got to bring in the leads. You got to figure out when you should hire somebody. It's a lot of scary, weirdo uh, decisions. It's not for everybody. It turns out that Jeremiah Kendra and I love it. We have a really good time with it. But I can totally see why people stay full-time employees because it's that salary, knowing that you're going to get paid on a certain day, is pretty cushy. <laughs> nice. Yeah, you, you know, and um, Brent, you and I have talked privately about this, but that's the reason, the primary reason why I'm no longer solo. I have for three and a half years. I did my own thing, got my own gigs, did all that. And after three and a half years, my big client, um, I walked away. And then I spent the next two months not looking for any work because I was so dreading it because I, I didn't want to do that. I mean, I was writing free tools. I was doing blog posts. I was updating the website. Anything else that I could do other than go out and do the hard marketing and sales work, uh -huh. I was doing that. And when I finally realized that, that's when I kind of went, 
I probably should be looking for full-time work because I need some gigs and I need money coming in and I don't want to be doing this work. That's how much I hated that stuff. And I just didn't even realize it. Yeah. It's, if you don't passionately love, like if you don't get up on the weekends or, you know, work in late at night, sharing the stuff that you're doing, like whether that's podcasting is a great example, you know, getting out there and actually sharing what you're doing, presenting about it, blogging about it. It doesn't seem like that's really business marketing, but that is where your gigs come from. You know, that's that's where the next stuff comes from. If you don't love sharing that kind of thing, do not go into consulting as a solo person. Go work for somebody else who loves doing that and brings in the work. Cause man, that that you think it's gonna be like I'm sitting here in Chicago looking out a bunch of bunch of skyscrapers. And I could point around to I bet any one of these buildings has a bunch of SQL servers that needs help. But how do I get from here to there? You know, how do I get in that front door? How do I communicate that, hey, I do know what I'm doing? You know, it's so much easier to have the reverse. And this is going to seem really uh, voyeuristic as I'm looking out at these skyscrapers. What I really want is people looking at my apartment going, how do I get into there? You know, how do I get Bren Ozar and, and hire him as a, a SQL Server person? That's what blogging, presenting, and you know, all of these kinds of things do for you. So since you started, again, you moved on and you started working on your own and you know started your own company, I imagine you had to develop a lot of skills that you didn't previously have. Yeah, like, how, yeah. can I, how can I be a salesman? You know, yeah. HR and marketing and accounting and a lot of these other types of things that, yeah. again, us developers, you know, this is not really what we do day to day. It's not something that's completely familiar to us. Yeah. You know, how, how was that for you? What was that process like? The biggest difference for me was starting co-working, was going to a co-working space where I could be around other people and not people who do what I do. In the co-working space I was at, which has since closed in Houston, uh, Caroline Commons, uh, or Caroline Creative, I forget what the CC stood for, um, was an open space where there were wedding photographers, uh, lawyers, all kinds of people, uh, film school people who were going off and building their first movie, um, who did all kinds of creative things. And they all had uh, lots of really diverse ideas about how you uh, reach out to clients, how you work with accountants, how you deal with uh, customers that aren't paying, how you deal with customers that want to pay you for work that you don't really want to do. And I was like, oh, this, it's really the same no matter what service you provide. It's the same, the same basic idea no matter whether you're a wedding photographer or a construction worker, anything that you want to build. And you're, you, what you really have to do is go out and talk to small business people. And they do these kinds of things. Every time I drive by a strip mall, you know, and I see a bunch of restaurants and a nail place or whatever it is, the, all these businesses, I'm like, wow, they're doing the same thing that I'm doing. They struggle with the same pains, uh, that I do. And so your biggest asset becomes all of these other small businesses that have gone through the same pains and they all know professionals who specialize in helping us. For example, if you want insurance as a developer, there's a company that specializes in that, that all they do, techinsurance.com, not to plug them because we've just used them for years, but um, all they do is sell insurance to people in the tech industry to make sure we don't make a mistake, errors and emissions insurance. And so they just take care of that for us. Our small business accountant, this guy knows exactly what it's like to work with law firms and other small consulting companies. 
And he just takes care of that for us, talks us through all kinds of interesting challenges. But there's an army of network of people out there who want to help you. The flip side is they all cost money. None of them are, are free. So you have to know going in the, the rates that you think you're going to charge. The classic example is you take your salary and double it. So if you make 100000 a year, you should be charging at least $200 an hour for your time. That may not even be enough, depending on how much you decide to outsource versus how much you decide to do yourself. Tell me the story about what it was like to hire your first employer. Oh my gosh. Uh, I'm going to step back a little further and I'm going to tell you about what it was like to be someone else's employee at a rising.com when at one point in the middle of me and Erica building a house together, we were uh, just in Houston, Texas, building a house together. And right as we were going through the mortgage process, the company that I worked for calls everybody in for a meeting and says, here's the deal. We're not doing well financially. We're going to have to skip this paycheck. What? Oh my God. I don't know if you guys have ever, have you guys gone through the mortgage process? Yes. Yes. Um, working through Multiple it. times. Oh, do, 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 the, the number of documentation that they want, everything has to be right. You can't uh, have anything questionable going on at all. So I was like, oh my God, if this, if this mortgage company gets wind that my bosses give my company skipping a check. I'm screwed. So I go in there with my best poker face and I'm like, oh, here's my last three pay stubs. You know, they haven't given me the fourth one yet, but you know, it's, if you need that, I can get it. And they're like, oh, okay, that's cool. Now, thankfully I don't have that mortgage anymore. So I'm kind of comfortable saying that, you know, on the, on the recording. <laughs> um, but that, it was horrifying to think that I might not be able to get my house because my employer skipped a paycheck and we had invested so much in that. It was, I set my mind to two things right then and there. Number one, I was going to get another job. Now, I had to wait until my mortgage finished, but I was going to get another job because I was not going to work for a company that did that to me. And number two, I was never going to be part of a company that did that to anybody else. I wasn't planning on starting a company, but I was like, if I'm a manager, I'm going to fall on a sword and quit before I ask my employees to take a, you know, one paycheck off. Yeah. So when it came time uh, for me, Jeremiah and Kendra to go hire somebody, it was funny. All three of us had the same kind of feeling that we're going to have six months of cash in the bank to pay this person's salary before we're going to interview anybody. And we wanted to make it crystal clear to the employee, you know, whoever we ended up hiring you're going to be safe. You don't have to worry about us. We're a tiny company, but if six months goes by and we haven't found you a single gig, we are still paying you that entire six months and we will skip paychecks before we'll skip yours. So it was a, a really uh, like a fatherhood type experience that I wanted to make really sure this person knew that they were in safe hands. Because, man, I tell you what, I look at, I talk to some other people who work in consulting companies or who run consulting companies, and the financial picture is not like that everywhere. If you're listening and you're ever thinking about taking a job as a contractor or a consultant, you should ask, how long are you going to be able to pay me if I go without work? Because I guarantee you almost every con uh, contracting consulting company out there, if you go six weeks without a gig, they're going to fire you before that happens or lay you off. And they're not going to look at it as their fault. This is just the way businesses work. No, that's definitely a good piece of advice. So who was your employee number one that you hired? Employee number one ended up being Jess Schultz-Borland, a.k.a. Girl Geek on Twitter. 
And it was uh, really funny. I can see the coffee house from here where we made her her job offer. Uh, and it was, it was so much fun because, and bless her heart, she had to put, put through so much crap as we figured out, how do you go about doing health insurance? How do you go about doing an IRA? You know, how are all these these mechanics and building processes, building our employee manual, all these things you have to put up with uh, when you join a company that's small. And she's awesome. She's so much fun to work with. Um, she's since moved on to another consulting company, and I just love her to death. She's great. That's awesome. So how much of your time do you actually spend now actually doing consulting and training versus, again, having to deal with the administration of the business? Oh, that is a really good question. So about about a year ago, it was probably two weeks a month, or two, I'm sorry, two days a week doing consulting. I was probably only doing tech work like two days a week. And the rest was a combination of management, marketing, sales, but especially sales. I was taking every sales call that came in and we ended up hiring a salesperson, Jessica Connors, who's amazing, who's just phenomenal and has completely taken that workload off. Now just like contracts show up and I'm like, yeah, woohoo, sweet, let's sign them. Uh, so now I'm back to four days a week uh, SQL Server work. So it's either contract or consulting or uh, training. Uh, so four days a week. And then I try to take one week off per month to either do vacation or to do creative stuff. How can I go about writing new training? How can I go about learning something totally different? Because uh, when you work for yourself, it's up to you to recharge your batteries. You have to figure out what's what burnout looks like. You have to recognize the symptoms before they happen. You have to schedule time in your calendar to make sure that you don't burn out. And it, when nobody is telling you what to do, you kind of have to figure out what your to-do list should look like and what you should spend time doing. Uh, it's that's where it gets really tough to say, all right, how much non-billable time should I, you know, set aside to do this kind of thing? For me, about one day a week seems to be a pretty good uh, sweet point, plus like a week every other month or so to uh, to bulk up and write more training. Obviously, we've been talking about your company, Brent Ozar Unlimited. Why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the actual offerings that you have? We do uh, SQL Critical Care, which is really a lot like an emergency room for SQL Server. People come to us when the server's either failing over all the time or it doesn't perform in the way they expect. And within a few days, we walk them through their own SQL Server and show them, here's what the root cause of the pain is, and we train them to fix it. We're not going to fix it. We're going to show you how to fix it and make you completely confident in fixing it so that your skills grow through the process uh, and that you understand why your SQL Server was behaving uh, in that way. I'm really big on the train the trainer or teach the people who are doing this because anybody who's around SQL Server, you're going to need to solve this problem again in the future at some time. And I want you to be self-sufficient. Uh, so everything that we do is based around basically these emergency room type visits where we bandage you up, make sure you understand how to care for your, your pain relief uh, going forward, and take off from there. And it, that's the way that all of our clients come to us for starters. And then over time, sometimes they'll go, Oh, you know what? You pointed out a lot of problems with our SQL Server and you got us off to a good start, but now we want to build a whole new one. Can you help us design and build out what we should really be doing? So, for example, a couple of weeks ago, I was in uh, South Carolina at a big old global company with dozens of DBAs, and we were walking through whiteboarding what they want to do for their Amazon Web Services setup for SQL Server with availability groups. Now, 
the first initial thing is this emergency room visit, then we can start coaching you on, all right, how do we get the server to run a marathon? How do we get this thing to scale like crazy? So I got to ask you, what's next for Ozar Unlimited? Oh, wow. That's a really good question. So I think we're still trying to, we're trying to gradually scale up the consulting business. It's funny, when the podcast goes live, we'll have our next job ad uh, up and running. Um, so we'll be hiring another consultant. We always wanted to hire one to two consultants a year for the first several years and gradually grow that thing out and grow the training out. I think we're still at the scaling point of it. Like I'm not ready to tackle something new and different uh, just yet, like a different kind of challenge. Um, but I've got several things in the back of my mind that I've always wanted to do. One of them, I think, conferences are broken. The real value of conferences isn't what's up on the screen. It's the conversations you have with people. That's really, it's hard to sell that to people who are attending conferences. But once you go to a conference for the first time, you kind of get it. That, oh, I, I can talk to people. I can talk to my favorite bloggers. I can make a connection. And then months from now, if I need help, these people are here for me. I can't tell you how many people I've gotten uh, jobs for that I've said, oh, I know so-and-so at a, you know, met him at a conference. Uh, they're looking for work now, you know, and tell, tell one of my clients about them. I think conferences don't really get that. And I, I, I have a few different ways that I want to try rebooting a different kind of conference. I do these free cons where it's pre cons, but they're totally free and they just talk about uh, technical skills, but more networking of technical skills. And uh, I think there's a way to reboot conferences that will make vendors happy, make sponsors happy, make attendees happy and make employers happy. Because it's not about just getting your next job. It's about having the skills to, to be better at your job. Uh, and I think that's really the next big thing that I want to go off and tackle. There it is. I was going to say, so, and then with that, I lost all of you. <laughs> <laughs> None of you are coming on that journey with me. <laughs> we are. That is so crazy, Brent. There's no way that that will ever work. We'd like to thank Brent for being a guest on the show. It was definitely a pleasure speaking with him. Remember to tell your friends about the show and leave a comment on the website at awayfromthekeyboard.com or on Twitter at AFTK Podcast. You could also follow me at Cecil Phillip and Richie at Jarris. That's J-O-R-R-I-S-S. You can subscribe to the show via the website or on iTunes. And if you really want to know what makes us tick, sign up to the newsletter where you'll get extra episodes and behind-the-scenes access to Away From The Keyboard. Next on Away From The Keyboard, we'll have part two of our conversation with SQL Server experts. You guessed it, Brent Ozar. This is where I'm, I'm always happy whenever Microsoft renews my MVP uh, sort of award, whatever, because I say so many bad things, and this is about to be one of those bad things. This is where he loses his MVP. Yep, see you then. to thank you for listening to Away From The Keyboard. As a reminder, we will have new episodes each and every week. You can interact with us on Twitter at AFTK Podcast or at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Hasta luego!
All right, good. Okay, so let's try that. Is that any uh, better or worse? Or better or worse? Sounds it kind of the same to me. The same? Okay. Yep. All right. Yeah, we'll roll with this. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Um, you didn't get my shipment of uh, of uh, sound foam? Get up on your room, man. So I just came back after five weeks on the road, and I'm in this in the room in my office again for the first time, and I'm like, wow, it is pretty echoey in here. You know, it is pretty small. So, so one one of the the piece of equipment that um, I picked up mainly for the uh, direct monitor, essentially the I could hear myself talk. Mm And, and it brings it back, and that's called a uh, Focusrite Scarlet Two I Two, and that's an it's an audio interface, right? So it just has a USB plug. You plug it into your your computer, and it has an XLR, you know, for real uh, type mics. Oh yeah, and it it has a preamp in it, and that preamp filters everything. Wow! And so my kids will be in the back. I'll be on the meeting. They'll be playing the piano. Wouldn't hear it. Like my wife's got like Fox News blasted like like to ungodly doubles right now. You can't hear it. Um, so I've this is I travel with this thing. I love it so much. Wow. I, I just throw it in the bag, and uh, Cecil and I will can have a recorded conversation. And you couldn't hear the stupid, you know, hotel uh, air conditioner blowing nice. at full speed or anything. Nice. Um, it, it's a it's it's my secret weapon. I need to make a like a little video on uh, why if we're doing VoIP at all over computer, get this little hundred fifty dollar box. Yeah. It's gonna make it a lot easier. You totally should. It's totally true. And there's there's just this wilderness of audio and video gear out there, and finding the right thing for just casual folks is just tough. Yeah, and I, I completely stumbled across it. I just I was not I was just looking for a solution so I could hear myself uh-huh. because it's just really up, off putting for me to have the cans on and you're talking to a mic and you just can't hear it. Oh yeah, you, I, like the only way I can work is to have only one earphone on. You know, the other yeah. other cans on the back of my head. So, right. yeah. Yeah, so I mean that's that's why, and I stumbled on it. And when Cecil and I were at the podcast movement uh, a month ago, we sat into a uh, a gear session, yeah. and he was the guy was just, just spewing gear, just like all over the place. I mean, it was just like Bleh! just vomiting gear all over the place, and like half the stuff I had no idea what he was talking about. But then he he brought up this particular box. I'm like, I know that, and and he goes, Well, I don't know. It's 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 on Amazon for something. It's over hundred bucks. I'm like, at 149.99. I I know that. You know, <laughs> it was me. There's a thing interesting in teaching too that you're supposed to tell people. So like, if you tell people five things, one of them has to be something that they already know, so that they they can then believe, oh, this guy does know what he's talking about because I learned that too. <laughs> you know, so that that's that in action. Uh, <laughs> There you go. Yeah. Cecil, you want to do the spiel now? Sure. Let's get started. So, um... We've already started. That's, uh, <laughs> that's his way of saying we've already started. And we're already done. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> yeah, the show's podcast. already started. Um, we're going to put this up next week. I hope you're good, happy with that. And, you know, <laughs> we can move on from there. Bye, everybody. No, he's, when do I get paid? He's already done the five-minute podcast <laughs> thing, so... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, uh, so, so pretty much what we do is, um, you know, there's no script. I mean, Rich has probably spoken to you about this a million times, but, um, you know, there's no script. We kind of just, you know, have a very free flow, open conversation about, you know, whatever it is that's just interesting and, uh, whatever it is that you feel passionate to talk about today. Um, there's, you know, there's no format to the show. There's no real expectations of, you know, there's no commercial breaks or anything like that going well, on. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I listen yeah. to you guys all the time. Like, I've been waiting to bust the Wait. joke out about, uh, so when are you going to tell them where you're from, Cecil? <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting to do this. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I'm from Antigua. I don't know if I mentioned that uh, what? recently. What? <laughs> really? <laughs> you got to let them know every show. You got to you know, show some of that um, island pride a little bit. 
It's a branding <laughs> thing too. Yep, absolutely. If this was a video podcast, you would absolutely see that Island Pride through that that wonderful beard that you're growing. Oh, dude, man, I'd have a flag up. I'd have a shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'd have steel pants and some carnival costumes and stuff. I love it. I mean, fantastic. Though, you Best know. podcast ever. 